God, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your scriptures, God, and that we can trust it. Um, Lord, that you have good things to say to us, Lord. You have life that you want to give us. So we pray that um, as we, we go into this book and we continue into this series, I pray that our hearts would just be attentive. Our, our hands would be open to receive from you. Uh, I pray that, you know, as you correct us, as you give us hope, um, Lord, that we would run to you, that we would pursue you, that we would trust you, God, and that you would be glorified in everything that we do. Uh, I pray for the right words to speak. I pray for our hearts to just be open to just receive you and your goodness. Thank you for your word, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. So I actually realized that I ran my first business as a fifth grader. Uh, it was something I was thinking about earlier this week. Um, what I used to do is I, I would do homework for my classmates. So things like reading logs, current events. Uh, I used to charge my classmates like $3 a day, essentially do homework. So at the end of the week, I was making $15. And as a fifth grader, you know, 10 years old, that's a lot of money, right? I, I was balling by all accounts. Like I, I, I didn't eat school lunch because I could afford breakfast. Um, I would buy food after school. Like I was balling, I was making a good amount of money. Again, this is another one of my secrets that my mom don't know about, so don't tell her if, uh, if you know her. But I was making a, a good amount of money. And you know, as a fifth grader, you know, I love fifth grade things. Um, one of the things I love was video games. Um, at one point I saved enough money to buy a used Super Nintendo for my friend, right? I love video games. Uh, I love games like Super Mario Brothers. I loved Donkey Kong. I love Contra. You guys remember Contra? Like my brothers definitely do because that was one of our favorite games. Um, in video games, like the, the thing I loved about it was you get to be a hero, right? You get to save the day. You get to, you know, for lack of a better term, save the damsel in distress. Um, this idea of being a hero, saving the day, you know, saving the damsel in distress, it, it's a major theme we see in culture. We see it in movies, we see it in literature, we see it in art, right? It's, it's something that honestly resonates with us. This is why we love movies like Lord of the Rings, you know, Two Towers, of course, Return of the King, it's my second favorite, but, you know, movies like Two Towers, Harry Potter, Frozen. This is why we're like, when we watch these movies, like, you know, we get so riled up, like sometimes we even cry, right? It's because we love this story. Um, I think we love this story so much because it's actually a part of our lives, right? Our lives are part of the greatest story ever. And that, that story is the greatest mission, right? The reconciliation of all things to Christ, by Christ, for Christ. And this is what Justin touched on at the end of his sermon last week. And as we continue in this book, this is what we're going to unpack a little bit more. So let's read together. In Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be focusing on three verses uh, today. So the first one is uh, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So 
diving right into verse 21, and you who were once alienated, what does that mean? What does it mean to be alienated? So a, a very simple way to think of alienation is, is like this. Alienation is the loss of a relationship that once existed. So to understand how we became alienated, we need to go back to the beginning of the story. So uh, we'll, we'll go to Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 31. We won't have enough time to read that, um, but I, I, we, we do provide notes for the sermons. I definitely encourage you to check those notes out early next week and just go through these verses for yourself. I, I just want you to know that these are not my ideas. This is, this is something that's in scripture. It's a common theme. This story is played out in so many different passages. So in Genesis chapter one, we see that God creates everything, right? God creates specifically man and woman in his image, in his likeness. And he dwells with them, right? He, they dwell with him in the Garden of Eden. That's where you know, men and, and, and women existed with God. There was absolute perfect harmony between men and God, uh, between men, uh, the man and the wife, and with man in creation. Perfect harmony, all things are good. This is something that God declares, he blesses. Now, in Genesis chapter three, in the fall of humanity, we see that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they disobey God and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In that moment, sin and death enter history. This is also exactly when alienation occurs. And this happens on a bunch of different levels. So first we see that alienation between us and God. Um, in verse 23 in chapter three, um, we see that it says, therefore God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So this is the first moment of alienation, God driving us out of his presence because of sin that relationship we have with God is fractured, it's broken. Um, it's broken on a physical level in which, you know, men and women cannot exist in God's perfect presence in the garden. And it happens on a spiritual level. We see that alienation also occurs between the man and the woman. And we see that in the curse, there's strife, there's enmity between them. Um, this is something that we see played out through all of human history, right? Um, even recently, we've seen so much tension between, you know, races, especially in the United States. Um, it's, it's something that's always existed. There's, there's disharmony, there's, there's brokenness between us, and that's because of alienation. Now, this is something that we're all born into, right? No, one, no one's excused from this. Paul says it perfectly this way in Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right? This is this one man that Paul's referring to is Adam. Right? We, we are all born into this. We all are alienated on all of these different levels. So now in the context of this, the greatest mission ever, the greatest rescue mission, the greatest story, we see that our enemies are revealed and the damsel in distress. So no surprise to you, the damsel in distress is humanity. It's, it's you and I. Right? We are the ones in need of saving. Saving from who? Our enemies, as we can see here, our sin, sin in us, and death. Death uh, physically and also death spiritually. Now, going back to verse 21, you know, we establish through Paul that we are alienated. 
Um, Paul also establishes the fact that we're hostile in, in our mind. And, and this is a, a direct result of alienation. Um, essentially, we are opposed to God and his rule and his reign. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. There's a study done about eight years ago by some church leaders, and it, it was essentially a survey. They, they surveyed non-Christians, and they wanted to find out, you know, in that, day, in that time in history, what were the main reasons why non-Christians opposed Christianity? Um, they expected to hear, you know, you know, some of the typical answers like Christians are hypocrites, uh, Christians don't believe in abortion, or, you know, they're opposed homosexuality. Um, but to their surprise, they actually found that the number one reason why non-Christians were opposed to Christianity was because they valued their autonomy. Essentially, non-Christians, per, per the survey, they didn't like the idea of someone telling them what they can't and can't do in their lives and with their choices. Right? They wanted the ability and they valued the ability to do whatever they wanted to do. Essentially, be your own God. And we see, as a result of the survey, things haven't changed much. This is the same sin that Adam and Eve uh, committed against God when they said, you know what, God, I don't trust the way you rule. I don't trust the way that you love and provide for us. We want to do this by ourselves. We know what's best. That's essentially the decision that they made. So this is what being hostile of mind means, right? We are opposed to God's rule and God's reign. And because of that, as we continue in verse 21, the, the direct result is evil deeds. We see a breakdown in the relationship between us and God. We see a breakdown in the relationship between us, right? This is why things like abuse and oppression occurs in humanity. This is why there's evil. This is why, you know, we can uh, abuse and enslave people. This is why, you know, we can murder and we can lust and we can, you know, do all kinds of terrible things. It's because we're alienated and we have this hostility towards God and his rule and his reign, right? This is the direct result. Now, this is awful, right? Um, here's the part of the story that we love. This is the introduction of the hero. And the hero in this story is Christ. So what Christ does, and this is, again, this is a recap of the gospel. I'm sure most of you know this, but let's go through it anyways. So let's go to verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ came into humanity as a man, as a human being, and fully as God. Christ lives a life that we could never live. So he's perfectly sinless. He's perfectly obedient to God. He's also in perfect relation and communion with God. Christ dies a bodily death. Right? Justin touched on this last week. Right? Christ dies on the cross. He dies a death that every single sinner deserves. Right? God pours out his wrath on him and uh, he resurrects and he gives us his life and he gives us his righteousness. So through Christ, we are no longer alienated. We're no longer hostile in mind and we no longer have to be doers of evil deeds. 
Paul says it perfectly in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand, that we should walk in them. We are hidden in Christ. Right? This is what Paul's referring to in uh, verse 22, right? He's presenting us holy and blameless. Uh, we're blameless because essentially when we put our faith in Christ, God no longer sees us on the basis of who we are and what we've done. All the sin we've committed, our rebellion, our opposition, our hostility, our alienation ends because our faith is not in Christ. So when God sees us, he sees Christ and Christ's righteousness. A, a good way to think about this is, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've been in this position before, you may not, whatever. But let's say, you know, you're trying to get an apartment or you're trying to get a loan, right? And you have, you have terrible credit, right? This happens with a lot of college students or uh, young adults. And you go to the bank and you say, hey, I want a loan of $10,000. The, the bank will look at your credit and then laugh at you because essentially you're a joke, right? You, you're not trustworthy enough. You're, you're, your standing is not good enough for the bank to receive that loan. So in many cases, what people do is that they'll, they'll get a guarantor, right? Or they'll apply with the loan with someone who has better credit, right? This could be a parent or, you know, a relative, someone older than you typically, right? And you'll now go to the bank and say, hey, you know what? I'm applying for this loan, but I'm applying on the merit of this person's credit. Now, when the bank sees that and they see that, all right, great. Your, your mom who has, you know, a 750 score, She's trustworthy. Her credit's good enough. We are going to give you this loan on the basis of your mom's credit. So that's the way to think of the righteousness. When God sees us, he doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the separation. He doesn't see the alienation, the hostility. Because we place our, our faith in Christ, he sees Christ. And that's how we're accepted. We're accepted on, on the basis of that. Now, we are reconciled to, back to God. We're able to have that relationship, that communication, uh, that, rather that communion with him that we once had in the garden. And that's all through Christ. Not only that, we can now go back into right relationship with each other. We're able to love each other better, more truer. We're able to serve each other. This happens through, again, Christ's reconciliation and his work. So to wrap it up, we see here in this story that we were the damsel in distress. Sin and death, that was our enemy. But Christ, as our hero, has come in. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. And he saved us. And then one day, as Paul says in uh, verse 22, he's going to present us as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this is, you know, what Justin referred to, you know, last week as, you know, God, uh, through Christ, presenting us, his church, as his bride. So we, we go from being the damsel in distress who is, you know, beaten down and destroyed by sin and death to now this perfect, spotless, beautiful bride before Christ. And this is what Christ has done. This is the gospel, essentially. This is the good news of the Christian faith. This is amazing, all right? This is what we get to celebrate. This is why we sing the songs we sing. This is why we exist as a church, right? It's just beautiful, beautiful good news. So we, we can pretty much wrap it up at this point, right? Like 
we can, you know, go back to the songs and, you know, go back to discussing um, this beautiful reality and this beautiful truth. Now, that would be the case if it wasn't for verse 23. Verse 23 is what is known as a left hook in boxing, right? This is, this is what you don't see coming that just absolutely floors you. Paul does this in verse 23. Let, let's read that real quick to get together. Verse 23. If indeed, he's talking about, again, all of the, the reality of what he presented before of Christ rescuing us, reconciling us to Christ. He says, if all of this is true, if indeed you continue into faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in creation under heaven of which Paul, I became a minister in. Now, I'm going to take you back to like seventh grade English. That word if is extremely important, right? The word if, it's, it's called a preposition. Prepositions, if you remember, they connect, they connect nouns with other nouns or they connect phrases with phrases, right? This if essentially connects these two statements, right? This is like this reality that we just went through the last you know, seven minutes or so unpacking. This is only true if, again, that latter part, right? If we remain steadfast, if we don't shift from the hope of the gospel. So the Bible is actually full of these kind of statements. It's actually in verse 22, right? He has reconciled in his body of death by, sorry, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, that's a preposition, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, right? So this if has massive implications. And it has massive implications to the reality that we just spent, you know, the last 10 minutes unpacking. There's a condition to this, right? So let's look at that. Now, what does Paul mean? Or rather, what doesn't he mean by this condition? Right? It, it doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation. Right? I know some of you just like, you know, let a sigh of relief because like, oh my gosh, like, is this not real for me then? It, it, it doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation. We, we never earned our salvation, so it's not something we can lose. It's something that's been given to us by God on his own accord. Listen to the way Jesus says this in John 6, verses 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he gives me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one, no one, no one gets lost. No one loses your salvation because God's will is that whoever believes in the Son will be raised together with him in the last day. They will have eternal life. So what Paul actually means to say in this, this condition or in this phrase is that he's inviting the members of this church to reflect on their own faith and their salvation. This is something that Paul does a lot in his letters. He examines the church. He, he rather invites the church to examine their faith to see if they're truly in it. You, you want to see if you're really saved. Right? And this 
this examination, this actually produces a healthy fear, right? Healthy fear is good. Regular fear, not good. Healthy fear, good, right? Healthy fear is good is because it's good because it indicates that we value our lives. Here's some examples, right? Healthy fear. Don't run into traffic, right? It's a, it's a good fear to not try to run across the, the BQE and, and play in traffic there. Um, I mean, BQ, the BQ is always crawling, so I, I think you'll be safe. So let's think the Belt Parkway. Don't, don't try to like play in Belt Parkway. Like you're probably not gonna make it out, right? Another example of a healthy fear, don't cheat on your taxes. The IRS will get you, like they, they don't play. So don't play yourself. Um, finally, right? Don't leave the door unlocked, right? As a native New Yorker, you know this. You don't. You lock the fire escape, you close the window, you lock the doors. Like The doors are never unlocked. I don't know how people out of New York do this, but you don't trust nobody. You, you should actually go check if the door's locked right now in your house, right? I, there are times where I've like locked a car and I've gone upstairs and I'm like, man, I don't think I locked the car. And I had to go, I have to get dressed, go back outside to make sure the car's locked. That is a healthy fear to have, right? Again, healthy fears are good because it shows and it indicates that we actually value our lives or we value things that are valuable. How much more is our soul valuable than our actual physical life? So th this is why Paul challenges us to examine ourselves. So let's do a little bit of examination, right? This happens in verse 23. If you indeed... Continuing the faith, stable and steadfast. Who anchors you? What anchors you? Where do you turn to in difficult seasons? The reality is that life is hard. Life is full of hardships. It's full of trials. It's full of heartbreaks, disappointments, right? There's sickness, right? We have COVID, it's cancer. There's mental sickness and illness. There's loss, there's loss financially, the loss of a job or income, loss of a loved one, loss, loss of relationships, status. There's depression. There's persecution that we face. There's hopelessness, uh, sorry, hopelessness, loneliness. There's sin in us that wars constantly. Right? There's so much that we have to go through when these situations come up and there are, uh, they are a reality in your life, where do you go to? Where do you place your trust? Where do you place your faith? Is that in God? Is that in God's promise? Is that in the Son? Or is that, as the world tells us, in pleasure? Is that in sex for you? Is that in pornography? Is that in drugs to numb yourself, like, you know, alcohol? Is that in comfort, overeating? Is that in a relationship, a person? Is that in entertainment and just numbing yourself? Is that in just daydreaming and just living in a fantasy? Do you just turn inwards? Paul is challenging us to really look at our lives and, and, and examine where it is we place our hope. Second question, do you truly believe in the hope of the gospel? As you look at the story of your life, are you the hero? 
Are you the one who atones for your sin? Is it your good works or like the world tells you, you know, be a, a moral person or go to church, you know, be kind, be tolerant, don't judge people? Is that what you're placing your hope in? Are you the hero? Are you placing your hope in the faith of another, right? It could be some like a, a praying grandmother or your wife or your, your husband or, you know, a friend or your pastor. Like they're, they're solid in God, so I'm going to trust in them. Like, is that your hope? Is that, is that the hope of the gospel that you have? If it's not solely in the work of Jesus, as Paul described earlier, then you are someone else's the hero. And you're not a good hero. I would challenge you to, to honestly spend some time. It, it obviously can't be right now. Um, it could be as you discuss with the house church that you're in or if you're by yourself. Spend some time, you know, this week or today really examining yourself to see where your hope is. To see if you're steadfast in Christ, if you're steadfast in the faith, or if your hope in the gospel is misplaced. If it's somewhere else and it's not in what Jesus has done. Because the implications are massive, right? We're not talking about the loss of your car or your, you know, 85-inch screen TV in your house. We're talking about the loss of your soul. We're talking about you being forever and eternally alienated from God. This is worth examining. This is worth taking the time to reflect and process. This is the heart of Paul's message. This is why he adds that if. This is extremely important. So, how do we respond? So, I would say if your hope is placed in the gospel, if you are steadfast, if you are stable in the faith, then rejoice. Like the natural response is to worship. Right? We have been rescued. We have been saved. And we have been uh, given a promise in Christ that you know, he will atone for all of our sins and that we will spend the rest of eternity with him forever. Like that's our promise. We should worship. Um, now, because of that reality, this is where Paul elsewhere in his letters, he encourages the church to keep in the faith, to remain steadfast, remain stable. Don't shift. Right. Um, this is a very as, as, you, as you think about Christianity, this is very active. Christianity is not like some kind of eternal life insurance policy that you get. Like you just say a prayer, um, maybe go to a small group and then like you're good. Right. You just wait till you die. This this race this faith is very active. This is why Paul uses words like run the race, fight the good fight. This is, this is not passive at all. So if you are in this faith, if you are steadfast and stable, continue to do that. Continue to fight sin in your life. Continue to find the idols in your heart and, and surrender them to God and continue to trust him. That's Paul's encouragement to us. And then we can also share the good news. Share the good news that we have been rescued, right? Everyone has the, the, the notion of the idea deep down inside that something's wrong. Something's wrong with humanity. Something's wrong in this story, right? There is an enemy. There is, we are the damsel, the damsel in distress, right? We need saving. Everyone knows that in their heart. It's up to us to share that with people and invite them to take part and be a part of this, this great mission and being saved and rescued by Christ. 
If you are not steadfast in Christ and your hope is not in him or in the hope of the gospel, then the, the good news is that you are invited to place your trust in him. He will rescue you, right? You will no longer be alienated. You will no longer be hostile in mind or doers of evil deeds. He will reconcile you to himself so that you're in right relationship with God, that you can love and be in right relationship with people in your life, and that ultimately you'll be with him forever. That, that's the promise. And that's the promise for anyone that puts their faith and believes in, in the Son. So to, to wrap this up, we have a beautiful and a true hope in Christ. We are blessed beyond imagination. He has rescued us from our enemy of sin and death. And he's reconciled us back to himself, to each other. And then ultimately one day, we'll be reconciled to all things with him. This reality, this promise is only secured for those who keep their faith in the hope of the gospel. There's no, there's no way around that. If Jesus is not your hero, you are, and you're not a good enough hero. Be encouraged, right? <laughs> this, again, life is hard. This, this life as a Christian is gonna be challenging. We're gonna have to fight, we're gonna have to run, as Paul says, but ultimately, we won't be doing these things to earn salvation. We'll be doing these things because we are saved, right? Because we recognize that, hey, we have been rescued. We love God, we trust God, and we wanna serve God. This is why we do these things. And that we will do these things, we'll, we'll be able to fight, run the race through the strength of God. This is one of my favorite promises in the, in the scriptures. This is again, Paul in Philippians chapter one, verse six. I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is what we, we, we learned in last week, right? That our salvation is a result of Christ's work, Christ's love, Christ's character. Meaning we are saved by him, we're saved through him, and we're saved for him, for his glory. That's the point. And that's what, you know, Justin was alluding to at the end of his sermon last week. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home here. This is all done through Christ, by Christ, for Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have saved us. God, you have defeated our enemy of sin and death. That we are, are no longer the damsel in distress, but we are actually your beautiful bride that you will present to yourself blameless and above reproach, holy, and that you make all things right. God, this is not something that we do. We don't have to be the hero. You alone are the hero and your protection, your salvation is sure. And it, it's a hope that we can remain and it's a hope that we can plant ourselves in through the hard times, through the good times, through all of life. God, you are a, a hope and you are a promise that is absolutely sure. It's a sure as day. And we thank you for that. God, help us to respond appropriately to your word, God. Help us to stand firm. Help us to hold on. Help us to keep fighting. But if we're not in this faith, help us to have humility in our hearts and accept the fact that you want to save us and you can save us. And you want to be reconciled to us. Thank you for the hope that we have. 
in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.